Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know how many of you have ever gotten to a point in your life, maybe a season, maybe, uh, you know, you came to the end of some kind of project where you were ready to cruise, smooth sailing. You were ready to just let down. And it just doesn't happen. Something comes up. You know, things are going so, so well. I was, I was talking to someone last week. Not kidding. And the guy said, Greg, things are just going so well in my life. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Interesting. And I have had at times in my life, and in particular in my ministry, roller coaster ride. Where, you know, things are going so well. And I expect that I'm going to be able to cruise at different times in my life in ministry. And it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't. Case in point, we had the wonderful celebration last Sunday. 25th anniversary, my kids were here. So many people worked so hard on last Sunday. I mean, I was really appreciative of the work, the building committee, the capital campaign committee. So many people here that volunteered. And it was like just such a great time. And Meredith and I are leaving after church today. We're going to go visit her sister for a couple of days. Then we're going to go visit my son, Daniel, who, you know, they bought a house in January. And we haven't seen it yet. And the reason is, is because in January he was deployed. And his wife was there. And and so she had her mom come and get settled in a little bit. Got back from deployment in June. And around July he goes on leave. And we said, hey, can we come for a few days to see your house? He said, no said, really? He said, well, Natalie and I need to reconnect and we need to do some projects on the house. This is not a good time. I said, how about Thanksgiving? He said, great. So we've been planning on it, looking forward to it. And last evening, I'm looking at my email. Probably shouldn't have done that. 7.30, and I get this email from the bishop saying the rehearing has been denied. Now, we don't know what that means, by the way, okay? But the mediation is still going to happen in December, and, you know, we'll probably appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States to hold the Supreme Court of South Carolina accountable. This is is like just another – I lost hours of sleep last night, you know, because I'm the type that gets angry internally. And I wrestle. And if you read my messenger article coming up, by the way, I talk about how thankful I am. And I still am. And that's the place that I had to get to last night before I fell asleep. I had to work through, and it took about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Got less sleep last night than I wanted. Because I wanted to be able to enjoy worship today and driving away and enjoy time away. And... 
You know, it doesn't always go the way we want. And sometimes it doesn't go the way we want because not our fault. It's nothing we've done wrong. And we've been talking about David over the last two and a half months, three months. And David, early in his life, he didn't do anything wrong. He was the youngest son. In fact, the forgotten son. And he was just being a faithful child and a faithful shepherd. And eventually would be a faithful servant of the kingdom. Working for Saul, playing the liar, killing a giant, you know, just the usual stuff. And then Saul turns on him. Insecurity. The Spirit of the Lord departs from him. And he's on the run. He's a fugitive. Not his fault. Fast forward, he becomes a king. Everything's going wonderful. He gets complacent. He falls to temptation. Things go wrong again. His fault. Sin has its consequences. Even though the Lord forgives, David immediately repented, was forgiven. But there's consequences. There's consequences in the kingdom. There's consequences in his family. Eventually, his son Absalom would kill Amnon. Eventually, would usurp the kingdom. Eventually, Absalom would be killed. David would have the kingdom restored. Once again, David begins to focus on working on his family again. We've talked about all this stuff. You can get the sermons if you missed it. Then, the Philistines think, well, the kingdom's a little fragile now, so we'll attack. So they attack. Gets that quelled down. So David thinks, this would be a really good time to take a census. Sounds innocuous. We do one in the United States every ten years. But it was his pride that drove it. I want to take stock of what I've got, what I've done. I'm getting towards the end of my life. You know, some of us people, as we move on in our ministry, we like to take stock. We like to enjoy, you know. And it doesn't always happen. And that got him into trouble, his pride. He thought he was just doing something that was okay. Sometimes we make decisions we think are just normal, okay, not bad. Sometimes we're just doing life. Sometimes we do make bad decisions. But life is a roller coaster. That's the reality. And we see it in the life of David over and over again. David, who has a heart after God's own heart, who walked with the Lord faithfully and yet was not perfect. He was not perfect. None of us are perfect. And we can learn so much from the figure of David and all the biblical figures. Because outside of Jesus, no one is perfect. And it's good to learn from their positive aspects. 
and their character. And in particular, David, who had a heart after God and wrote 73 psalms at least. And learn and draw from his life. And I chose in this last sermon on David, his prayer life. And you really need to read the rest of 2 Samuel 22 at some point. Maybe not today, maybe this week sometime. The whole of the prayer. Because the prayer is so powerful. And it reflects much of David's life. The positive and the struggle and the failure. And how the Lord had been faithful through it all. If you look at the beginning of the prayer, you see a reflection of Psalm 46. The Lord is my refuge and my strength. And at times how David needed to be still and know that he was God. When he was a fugitive, when he was struggling, when he was running. And then you get to the next section that I have in there. And he talks about being a deer on hind's feet. And what comes to mind, Psalm 42. What a beautiful description that is of one's relationship with the Lord. Over and over again, what seems to be woven through these prayers is something that David had already established in his prayer life. These psalms, these verses that just can stick to your heart if you allow them to. Because sometimes we just don't have the words. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we're broken. Sometimes we're struggling. Sometimes we're asking the question, why? But looking at David's life as a whole, one thing that is overwhelmingly clear is here is a man after God's own heart. Even and especially when he faltered, when he failed. When Nathan the prophet confronted him, he didn't say, now wait a second, let's talk about this. He didn't debate. He didn't disagree. He didn't rationalize. He didn't justify. He immediately, as we see in Psalm 51, said to the Lord, against you only have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart. Wash me. Make me white again. He confessed. How often we want to justify or rationalize or defend. Or instead of turning to God, we want to turn away from God. We want to turn against from God. We want to turn on God and be angry with Him. Instead of saying, Lord, I need you now more than ever. I need your forgiveness. I need your spirit to wash over me. I need your spirit to fill me again. Renew me. Create a clean heart in me. That's what I need. And that's what he said. Because we all, come, we all come to that place. We all need to come to that place. Saying, Lord, I need you. I need a Savior. That's what the gospel is about. Jesus, my body is broken for you. My blood is poured out for you. He came to be the Savior. That's what we need. The second aspect that we see of David throughout his life 
is how David always bounces back. And along the way, he has people who are tremendously loyal to him. When you have a heart after God's own heart, there's something attractive about that. There's something attractive about that. I don't know if you've noticed that in people. People that really have a heart after God, there's, there's, some, there's some joy, there's some love there that you can't deny and, and you want to draw on that. And let's just pick a few people, a smattering of people from David's life. First, you know, when he comes out of his family, you know, his family kind of didn't really recognize him. You know how sometimes families just don't see us like other people see us? Do you ever notice that? Our families get like this focused vision about who we are. But, but we change and we grow and we blossom. And David, when he was out in the field... And he was blossoming as this guy who could really use a sling well. And he could play the lyre, which is a stringed instrument, really well. And he's developing this relationship with the Lord. And he's blossoming and he's growing. His family like, oh, yeah, I do have another son. Wait, we'll go get him. Forgot about him. And then he comes into the kingdom. And he works for the king's court. And he kills a giant. And Jonathan, the king's son, who you would think would be the next king, says, David, you're going to be the next king. I know it. You've got the qualities, and I want to be your best friend. And oh, by the way, if anything ever happens to me, I want you to remember my family. And he does. After all of Saul's family is dead, there's one lame Child of Jonathan's remaining, Mephibosheth. I want you to remember that name, Mephibosheth. I love saying that name. And he becomes as if David's son dining with him every day. David gets and has loyalty. And then there's this next guy I want to focus on, Ittai the Gittite. You all know Ittai, right? Ittai the Gittite. Isn't that a great name? Let me tell you about Ittai. Ittai was one of these guys who, when David was out as a fugitive, he attracted all these guys around him. I mean, all these, you know, kind of like lost people and fugitives themselves. And he just drew all these people around him. And at some point along the way, amongst those people were 600 warrior types. And they became fighters for David. And he got them in different places. And if you don't know the story of David, David defected to the Philistines at one point. He just faked it because he was so afraid of Saul and getting caught. So along the way, he gets this guy, Ittai, the Gittite. He becomes one of his 600 warriors. He's like a special forces guy. He's a really strong warrior. And by the way, if you're a Gittite, that means you're from Gath. Do you know who's from Gath? Goliath is from Gath. And David killed Goliath. But Ittai became a loyal fighter for David. Because there was something about David. 
And because David picked him up along the way, during those years when he was in exile, that he was being hunted, he saw something in David and he says, I want to fight for this guy. Because he's special. And he was loyal to David to the end. Then there was Zadok and Abiathar. Zadok and Abiathar were two priests. So you've got this warrior, this Gittite, and now you've got these two priests. And these two priests could have been killed. They were spared when all these priests were being slaughtered. That's how much Saul's generals were after David. They slaughtered a bunch of priests who gave him shelter at one point. Zadok and Abiathar got away. Later on, Zadok and Abiathar would, 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 would be spies for David while David ran away from his son who usurped the kingdom. Try to follow this. It's really tough. So Zadok and Abiathar are these two priests who are so loyal to David. They're willing to risk their lives. They're willing to lay down their lives. That's how much he had the loyalty of these priests. Then you've got his general Joab. Oh, my gosh. Joab was a mess. I mean, he would be the one to do in Absalom because he knew Absalom was such a threat. And he would confront David at times, just like Nathan did. He was a faithful friend who was willing to confront him. And he was a warrior type. He was almost like the 600. But he was so faithful to David. He knew what David needed. Sometimes when David didn't know what David needed. And he was loyal to David. And finally, there was Shammai. We talked about Shammai a couple of weeks ago. Shammai was this guy who was faithful and loyal to Saul. And so when David's kingship was usurped, and he's riding out of town, David's trying to get away, Shammai was calling names at David and throwing stones at him. And then when Absalom was killed and David's riding back in to take his kingship over again, what do you think Shammai was doing? I'm so sorry. Don't hurt me. And David said, you're forgiven. It's okay. This is not a day for vengeance. This is a day for celebration. And when David died, one of the people that grieved the most when he died was Shammai. It's interesting who David attracted to him. Had his loyal friends in his life. People from different places. Warriors, generals, commoners, priests, cripples. He attracted all types. Why? Because he loved the Lord so much. And it came across to the people. That's why. And when they got close enough, they caught it. They caught it. What a model that is for us. 
That's the kind of people, that's the kind of hearts that we need to develop. The people catch it. Thirdly, and we mentioned this a little bit, the legacy that David left. It was a mixed bag because David wasn't perfect. At times, he really messed up his family because of his modeling, because of his absence, because of his too busy running the kingdom mentality. His immorality with Bathsheba and Uriah, it carried over into his family. But he had a heart after God. And he was wise many times in his life. And how that carried over into his family as well. And when he got older and began to recognize the failures that he had, he decided he was finally going to invest in his family. And Solomon, who would be the next king, whose name means peace. How we see David's legacy lived out in Solomon. That worship would be the center of the country. And so he set up Solomon to build the temple representing God's presence. And his wisdom carried over into Solomon. David wrote Psalms. Solomon wrote Psalms. Solomon would go on to pursue wisdom and he would write the Song of Solomon, which reflects a love relationship with our relationship with the Lord. Proverbs, which contrasts a wise person with a foolish person. And Ecclesiastes, which shows how when you don't always follow the wise life, which Solomon, like David, departed for a season and he pursued all the pleasures of the world, the wealth and the building up all the homes and the success. And he had a thousand wives and concubines. How you couldn't be messed up after that and distracted. And then he came back, and at the end, he said, all is vanity. All is vanity. And chasing after the wind, one thing matters. One thing matters, and it's the Lord. That's what matters. After pursuing all that, And the pinnacle of David's legacy would be what would grow out of the stump. When David's legacy seemed dead. That we see promised in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11. The Messiah. Jesus Christ. The source of salvation. Fulfilling all the roles of David in perfect form that would provide salvation and eternal life. The son of Jesse, the son of David, the son of God, who would come to bring redemption. That's the legacy of David. You know, David wrote 73 Psalms. There are 59 references to David in the New Testament, all positive. That's what the, the, the writers... Jesus refers to 
Paul refers to. All positive. The legacy that he left, the power of the man. The prayer that he wrote, one of the longest prayers in Scripture. And if you look later on in Solomon's life, he too would pray one of the longest prayers in Scripture. He became a man of prayer. And Jesus was a man of prayer. This legacy that would run throughout the family. Not perfect. But see, that gives me hope. That gives me hope. Because I'm not perfect. And you're not either. And Solomon wasn't perfect. The only one that was perfect ever is the one that brought us salvation. And that's because he took upon himself our sin, our imperfections, and died for us. That's why he gave us communion the night before he died, to remember that, that truth, that promise that we celebrate every Sunday, the gospel. That's the legacy that comes out of David, the son of David, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The gift for salvation. The gift for eternal life. The question is, what legacy will you leave? A legacy of education, success, wealth, brokenness? Anger, addiction, or a legacy of faith. A legacy of things, or a legacy of relationships, of people that trusted you. A model, maybe not perfect, but a model because you had a heart after God's own heart, like David. A person of prayer. A person who sought wisdom. David was one after God's own heart. And my prayer is that Every man and every woman in this place would seek to have a heart after God's own heart and leave a legacy of faith as David did. Let's pray. Lord God, none of us here are perfect and we need your forgiveness. Sometimes we're prideful. Sometimes we're complacent. Sometimes we falter. And sometimes things happen that are just outside of our control. But Lord, no matter what comes in the roller coaster that we call life, we pray that we might have a heart that seeks you. A heart that might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we trust, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. 
and his death on the cross for our salvation. That we know him as our Savior and we seek him to be our Lord. Lord, help us to have such a heart and help us to leave such a legacy. And we thank you for the witness of your servant David and the gift of the Son of David, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.